start by telling you the plan. And I'll say a few words, uh, maybe concluding the themes of the retreat. And then we'll take a period of Q&A. Andrea wants to say a few words of appreciation for our retreat center. And then um, uh, Ross will make some announcements for the closing. And that'll bring us hopefully to 8.30. So um, in thinking about this theme, I was reminded of a quote I heard once that touched me. And it goes something like, a living is made from what you get. A life is made from what you give. What would you rather have, a living or a life? The four right efforts, uh, I've had a, you know, checkered history with them, partly because um, in many, for many years, uh, I put a lot of effort into my practice, but I didn't, I wouldn't admit it to myself. It was, it didn't really feel like effort. And when I heard the word effort, it felt like a lot of doing and uh, felt like it was a lot of me doing, and and it just seemed exhausting. And the, the times I tried to do willfully my practice, it seemed like it never really worked. So learning how to make effort in a way that's not willful, uh, and not to be too uh, trying to make something happen has been one of the things I've had to learn. And one of the things I've learned in the process is that um, we make, we make, certainly make effort in the practice. Sometimes it can be, it can take a lot of effort, this practice. But uh, it's primarily an effort to create the conditions for things to unfold in a natural way. And we have a very powerful natural system embedded in who we are in our here. And it's remarkable how well that can work. And so some of the effort is to get out of the way to allow what can move through us, move out of us, what can flow out of us, to make room for what can arise. And this idea of flowing out and arising up out of is a kind of language the Buddha used for practice. And, um, and so we kind of learn to get out of the way. And one of the things we try to get out of the way are unskillful states, unskillful activities. And um, I think that if you pay sensitive, careful attention to all the things that flow from greed, hate, and delusion, you'll probably find that they're, they are darkening. They close the light of the mind, or they're contracting. They cover over. The hindrances are literally, the word for hindrance is nivarano. It means to 
to cover over. And uh, they cover over. And um, in some forms of Buddhism, they call they call something afflictive emotions, the emotions that are afflictive, they're harmful for us. And I think of them, I don't know if it's good physiology, but I think of them as surface phenomena that are more symptoms of something deeper. And that if we can get out of the way enough and let the deeper thing emerge, there are all kinds of things can happen. It's a profound capacity we have for healing. And I think some of the, I believe some of the deepest forms of healing that we can do uh, is our natural process. That if we can get out of the way and trust the unfolding, trust what's in there to come and surface and show itself and move through us. And but also uh, the beneficial emotions, the, the beneficial source of momentum, of effort, of desires, of living a life is something that also can well up from inside. If, if we make room for it. One of the ways not to make room is to live too much of our time in what's sometimes called discursive thinking. Thinking was having conversations with yourself or with other people and it's very active, kind of almost like, you know, there's someone chattering in there. Or if there's almost like there's, you know, a room full of 10 TVs on at the same time. But to have the, you know, it doesn't mean we don't think anymore, but the discursive kind of crowded thinking quiets down. So there's room for something to emerge, to show itself. And so the saying that a life comes from what we give, a life comes from what we allow to flow through us into the world. And so the practice of four right efforts is partly a way of practicing to allow something beautiful to come up. And one of the beautiful things are the Brahma Viharas. And uh, the Buddha explicitly called Brahma Viharas, especially metta, a form of wealth. Wealth for a monastic who's not supposed to have money is metta. And, um, you know, so, and metta is not something you acquire or get like you would money, but it's part of this wellspring that can come from inside. So I've come to trust very much the wellsprings that are within. And uh, I didn't always have that, but uh, by doing it, it's proved to be phenomenally beneficial and trustworthy. And I like to think of uh, that uh, it's the Dharma that is moving through. And uh, the Dharma knows better than I do what's supposed to happen. And so to have, have this trust in something which is not necessarily, I don't, I don't even necessarily understand, but that, you know, but to open up, settle down, clear, clear the room. <clears throat> so something, you clear a crowded room, take all the boxes and furniture out, and then you can dance. So, um, 
I hope that you enjoy effort. It's a, it's a joy to enjoy effort. It's a treasure to, it's a treasure to discover how making effort, how engaging in effort, how allow, allowing for effort, engagement, is nourishing, is beneficial. It's, it's a wonderful thing. But it's not an easy art to learn because if we have all these associations of selfing and doing and accomplishing and getting that come along with it. And I hope that these four right efforts make you a very wealthy person from the inside out. That your inner life becomes your treasure that you love. And in the process of that, you become your own best friend. Wouldn't that be nice? So if you would like to ask some questions now about anything we've said this week and or anything that seems connected to what we're doing here at IRC, uh, Andre and I will attempt to respond. It would be lovely also to start hearing some of your voices <clears throat> in, in the, <clears throat> the group, all of us together as part of our community here. And Ross, I think he has a, the handheld mic, so <clears throat> I'm going to use that. Oh, you, you don't have it? Oh, here it is. Gil, a couple of nights ago, when you were talking about the, the decades of your own practice, the evolution of your practice, you talked about spending the first decade being with your experience, and then after that, moving into Vipassana practice. I wondered what the distinction was. Afterwards, I thought I should have probably waited another few years before I summarized that. <laughs> I probably hadn't practiced long enough to make some big sweeping conclusions about that. But uh, it wasn't uh, that, the, that the early 10 years, the first 10 years was about being with my experience. It certainly was that. But it was a lot of it had to do with being with my suffering. And uh, it was a suffering that uh, being with my suffering in a simple, uncomplicated way, because I wasn't smart enough to be more complicated, that uh, allowed the, the um, compassion to arise. I needed it so much. And so this next 10 years, it wasn't so much suffering anymore. But then that's where I, was, I learned mindfulness, a much more a different kind of attention uh, was, uh, than I had learned in Zen. Both, had, both were very wonderful, uh, but, um, but it was the mindfulness that seemingly gave birth to this uh, metta kindness.
You've uh, the next next one should be for Andrea. You've spoken a little bit about effort, and you know, we talk a lot about inclination, but then also the term striving, and striving, you know, striving for something good. And so I'd like you to flush that out a little bit. So just you, you just mean the difference between these three terms, well, effort, I, I guess, inclination, and striving? No, th that part I've got is just that my understanding is that we try not to use the term striving, and that's, I guess, where I'm, my, my, my query comes is, you know, where, where does the, the term striving fit, fit into in. this process, mm -hmm. into the effort, into the, to the path? So one thing I'll say is that, I mean, uh, I guess what I would say is that words are very potent for us, and we have a lot of associations with words. Uh, and I think Gil even spoke to that when he brought the word in. Um, and yet the word that is um, being translated as striving, you know, so this is, this is something we have to be aware of. It's like we're receiving these these teachings in translation and the, um, you know, the translators are trying to, uh, create a word that, you know, in English that has enough of the connotations of the poly word to give the sense of the word. And so is it, um, it's not Viria. No, no, that's, um, I don't know what they, what the poly word is. It's a, is it zeal? Is it there's the a whole bunch zeal? of synonyms, so like four synonyms in a row. So the English translators have to come up with a word. <laughs> <laughs> and it's different. <laughs> but I think it does the word strive. You know, in English, it it has this sense of aim and purpose, and that I connect to with energy. The word in English also has a very tight feeling, which I don't feel is is really what is being pointed to. But the aim and the purpose of, yeah, go this way. This is what's helpful. That's kind of where I feel that that, that word is pointing us to. And so when we, when we hear these words in English that we have associations with, and it's being talked about as a wholesome quality, something that we might not feel is so wholesome, our association with striving is usually over-efforting, tightness, I think we have to um, to dig into what might be uh, what might be the quality that's being pointed to, and to me, it really is this this aim and purpose. That the, the practice is very purposeful. May, may I just offer this? How about a determined inclination? <laughs> <laughs> we can offer that suggestion to Bhikkhu Bodhi. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you raised your hand. Okay. <laughs> Ross is getting his exercise. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, um, um, do you have any suggestions for how to transition from everything we've just been through here? 
back into our uh, quote-unquote normal lives. Either one of you. Yeah. Yeah, well, each person is going to have a different way. So if you do enough retreats, you have a sense of what your way is. And, um, but uh, without, you know, in a generic way, I like, I like to think that the retreat is twice as long as the scheduled time. And so we really only, tomorrow will be halfway through. And this next week after you leave here, uh, it's as important part of the retreat as this week here, meaning a number of things. It means that uh, if you're a little bit uh, unusual <laughs> uh, or very unusual, uh, there's sometimes there's a lot of energy. Sometimes people crash and get tired. Sometimes people, some people are a little bit more ir- irritable, oddly enough, coming out of retreat, or they're just filled with infinite generosity, ready to give away all your <laughs> possessions to and become a nun. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that might happen this first week when you come back. Um, just remember you're still on retreat and hold it graciously and remember to practice with it and don't take it too he- you know, with too much gravitas or something. It's just like, oh, it's just, uh, this, it just, uh, it's just a retreat phenomena and uh, go along with it. Um, but also uh, with the second retreat of the re- second week of the retreat, uh, you might really uh, see if there's some way you can keep remembering to do the practice. Even if you can't formally meditate, just as you go through your day, try, try to come back to the mindfulness and the presence and let go of your, you know, if you get really into a lot of discursive thinking because it's a busy life. Do your best you can for the next week to kind of try to calm down and quiet that down because that'll allow some deeper digestion, some deeper integration of what happened in the week, in the retreat, probably better than if you just kind of go headlong back into the life so that in 24 hours after being back, you where was I last week? You know, it has no relevance anymore. And then, um, and then, you know, to whatever degree that you can, it's a nice idea to um, try to go reintegrate, reintegrate into that world a little slowly. Uh, don't rush to look at your email. Maybe just if you when you when you have to do email, just do one at a time for a while. Or, you know, don't do all the news. If you if you if you feel like you need to do news, just find one article to read and just and then close it. You know the science article. And, I mean, there was momentous news this last week um, that ca- came out of uh, science. That's pretty awesome. Like like you know, all these minds. You know, in a thousand years, we'll remember this. <laughs> so you can look that up. <laughs> what was the title? Oh yes, I don't know if it makes sense to you, but um, um, they found a lot, a huge, greater amount of biomass on the Earth than they ever thought was here. Living, <laughs> living biomass. So there's more life on planet Earth than we realized. Isn't that cool? Like by a huge factor. So I mean, so in a thousand years, the, the people won't remember who was the president, <laughs> but they'll remember the size of the biomass. <laughs> they'll learn in the schools. Anyways, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
So I hope, anyway, maybe you want to say, see if you can redeem me. Not, not, about, not about biomass, but um, one thing that, that Gil mentioned, come back to mindfulness. I'd like to turn that around. Notice when mindfulness comes back to you, um, which it will. Uh, and this is actually one of my most, um, my strongest daily life practices is noticing, like in the moments when we're in sitting meditation, we do practice having a skillful relationship in the moment when my mindfulness returns. You know, notice that you're aware again, awake again, and what you, what's here? What's the landscape? I think I spoke to that. You know, where, what planet am I on when, when mindfulness returns? And that uh, happens in daily life as well as in sitting practice. And so just noticing that moment, you know, noticing, oh, mindfulness is back. I'm walking across the street. I'm picking up a glass. I'm brushing my teeth. Oh, here's mindfulness. And just get really familiar with that experience of mindfulness returning in ordinary activities. As you get familiar with that in ordinary activities, it actually, um, you know, it actually happens a lot more than we think it we do, it, think it does. But the noticing of it, when we begin to kind of attune to noticing it, it's like it begins to point itself out to us that it's happening a lot more. And so we get these little free moments of mindfulness that don't take any effort because you don't do that moment when mindfulness returns. It's effortless. So it's a great way to bring uh, a quality of this more uh, get out of the way kind of practice into daily life uh, to bring that kind of delight and joy of simplicity of, of practice. That's, I think that's the only one I'll mention right now. I've got a whole, I could talk for hours on this and I won't do that. So, <laughs> Thank you. Well, here's one. Um, this one I particularly like. Uh, it's um, it's more it's it's more almost um, reflective and reminder. So I put on little post-it notes. I put the paramis. I wrote the paramis on each post-it note. So generosity, ethics. Sorry. Oh, renunciation, renunciation, wisdom, um, energy, all of the parmi's patience, uh, truthfulness. Um, and I, I stuck them around my house. And so um, and generosity went on the door as I was leaving the house. Wisdom went on the refrigerator. <laughs> um, equanimity on the computer. Truthfulness on the phone. Things like that. And um, patience on the bathroom mirror because I discovered that I was impatient when I was brushing my teeth. So, uh, yeah, I just, just like, uh, it's just like a reminder of these wholesome qualities and seeing those qualities. It's just like, it's just a little like, you know, as we've been speaking about the wholesome qualities this week, many of you have said, you know, it's just like they're here, you know, bringing them into mind. Um, supports us. And 
you might notice if you just use little stickies, you know, like yellow stickies or whatever, that you need to change them up into different colors, you know, every week or move the stickies to different places because you'll, you'll start missing them. You know, as you walk out the door, you won't even see the generosity <laughs> sticky. Um, so that's, that's one that I, I did. I, um, that was fun for for a while to use that one. I, when when I had some people move in to my house, I went away for, for a three-month course and had some people come to stay, and they, they said, are you going to take those down? <laughs> I said, yes, I'll take them down. <laughs> um, so that was one. And then the other, another one I'll mention is um, very first the very first practice I did at all um, before I even started sitting meditation was to, um, I mean, what was, what was up for me, the whole reason I was like trying to even look at my mind is because there was so much anger going on. And a dear friend sent me a book and I got this idea from this book that uh, to kind of make a little project, you know, not to try to be mindful all day long, but to kind of commit myself to be mindful when certain things happened. And so I picked anger. I said, I'm going to be mindful when that happens. And um, boy, did I learn a lot, a lot about that. And so, you know, initially when, so if you have something, and what I'd say, what I say about this when I teach this as, a, as an offering for daily life if there's something you're really interested in understanding in your life, that's a good choice because you can commit, you know, it's like if there's something that you can kind of resonate with there and, and there's an interest there to keep going. And what I also, what also seems to happen is that the, the capacity or ability to meet that uh, may come and go. And so every time you notice that you haven't noticed or that you like are going to bed at night and realize, well, that thing happened at least twice today and I didn't notice it, rather than giving up at that point and saying, well, obviously this doesn't work for me, just recommit, recommit to, yeah, I'm just going to notice next time. So I missed those. I'm just going to keep trying. That intention, really, this is an intention practice. That intention is very powerful to uh, orient us to that. I think that's that striving. It's an aim and purpose. It's a it's a directing of the of the of the, the aim of the practice. And in this case, it's towards a particular um, interest of of investigation. And so, a whole a whole um, over the course of a few months, a whole bunch of of uh, understandings arose before I ever started sitting meditation. So for me, the daily life practice was really my first, my first practice. <laughs>